0: Welcome to the next edition of the Career Conversations Podcast, brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. My name's Craig McGregor, and today I have a fantastic guest, uh, Shivani Gupta. Actually, when I first thought of doing this podcast, Shivani was one of the first people I thought of to have a chat to because I've seen her speak at a number of networking events, and the way she speaks with passion and the way she speaks authentically about her life and her career is quite inspirational. Um, To take a quote from her book, Passion at Work, we're going to hear a story about her journey from corporate warrior to business butterfly. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Shivani Gupta. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group, specialists in permanent recruitment, labour hire, and HR consulting. Start a conversation with us today via our website, hrgroup.com.au, or at our socials Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, Shivani Gupta. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you on today. I've heard you speak a couple of times about your life and your career and your journey. So it's going to be fun to explore why you've gotten to where you are today through the past. So why don't we start with where you came to Australia and how that eventuated?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my father, who's the youngest of nine children... Um, is a very big advocate of girls being educated. And um, even though he felt that I'd be educated, that I I may not have that many opportunities growing up in India. So he had a brother that was living in Australia and decided to... um, you know, move himself, mum, myself and my younger brother who was four years younger than me. So I was 11 when I moved to Australia. He got a job as an engineer in um, the old BHP.
0: So that would have been a a big move at the time, I'm guessing.
1: It was huge. I mean, I spoke... The whole family spoke fairly good English but we had these pretty heavy Indian accents. Um, And, um, you know, Wyala, country South Australia with 30,000 population. Um, At the time... I have been
0: to Wyala and my memory of Wyala is that everything is pink,
1: Yeah, from iron ore. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's pretty pink. Um, and they always say that you know once you've lived there, when you sneeze, there'll be pink in your body (laughs) for the next twenty years. Um, but it was it was an amazing journey as well because you know moving from a relatively medium-sized city to moving into a small country town where you got to know people pretty well, and I think um you know mum for mum it probably wasn't a blessing that there weren't many Indian families. There was only four other Indian families there. But I think for myself and my brother, I think it was a real blessing because we then didn't get put straight into that culture and just hung around Indian families. Um, we also got to have lots of Aussie friends and lots of Italian friends while it was pretty multicultural. And I think that was a really significant piece when I look at back.
0: So before we get to your future, the first thing you mentioned there was your dad being conscious of making this decision, not for him, but for you really yeah how a, thankful are you of that decision?
1: So grateful yep. um, you know he is um, he's an amazing human anyway um, but for to actually really live that value I mean mm. one thing is having a value the other is practicing it he's one of these really big advocates of you know girls educating and that's been not just moving to Australia that's you know something that I felt his influence on my life even to this day, where, you know, he's always been very supportive of things I want to try out or, you know, quitting a job and starting a business or starting another business or whatever it may be. And I think it's a really important thing when when you look at your career, you always have people in your life that actually help you um, you know, whether you want to call it oxygen, whether you want to call it wind, you know, under your wings, just people that are there. And sometimes they're members of your family or your friends or parents of your friends. Um, but they end up being those informal or formal mentors yes. that really help you. And he was certainly certainly one of mine. Yep.
0: And I've got three young daughters at home. So hopefully one day they think of me like you do of him. So... That's fantastic. Yeah,
1: I'm sure they will.
0: So, wow tell me a little bit about Wyala and your, well, your time out there.
1: Every time I speak to people, um, having left there a long time ago now, Craig, they go, Were well, you really excited to leave? <laughs> um, I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was like. Is the it similar business. to Newcastle,
0: industrial town, or Newcastle it has in a, the 80s? It has a
1: very. Yeah, it feels like Newcastle in the 80s, yeah. maybe even the 70s. Um, obviously, it's gone and down in population. I think it's only down to about 21, 22,000, but um, they still had the, um, the shipyard. At that stage, so there was a lot more people employed, um, and they, I loved it. Um, and I think the freedom of being able to ride my bike down to the neighbours, ride my bike to school, all those things that I didn't get to do because of all the traffic issues in India, yep. I just thought it was the bee's knees. I just thought it was fantastic. I was so excited to eat. You know, I remember the first time I had lasagna, <laughs> and I went to KFC. I just thought, oh my god, these Aussies have really hit the jackpot here, yep. and um, and now I'm going to be part of that. I just thought it was fantastic.
0: So did that town shape your education in terms of where you were going to go with your tertiary studies?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I remember being in year 10, and you get to go and do work experience for a week. And I used to watch way too much TV, uh, particularly, um, you know, Law and Order. Yeah. And... um, (laughs) Uh, ...and all the law, uh, law shows. And so I thought, right, I'm going to be a criminal lawyer. Um, or MATLOC. there's lots
0: of crime in Wales yeah, to be solved. You know, of course.
1: <laughs> and I went, that's it, I'm going to be a lawyer. And I remember um, writing to a couple of places... ...that weren't taking any work experience students... ...because obviously their volume and being a smaller, smaller city. Um, so I said to my dad, I said, I don't know what to do... ...for this week's work experience. And he said, well, why don't you come into BHP... ...and you could do a week's work experience... ...and uh, then I could meet you at the canteen for lunch... And uh, they have great hot food, and I'm a bit of a foodie, so that was my lure to say, Well, I can't, can't get into any law firm. Bonus, good stuff. So I went in there, and um, they got me in hard hat and boots and doing some pretty basic stuff. And I remember thinking, This is fantastic, because I realised I was pretty practical. And um, so, yeah, I followed my father and my grandfather's footsteps. Um, there, there are no other female engineers in my family, but I then um, enrolled in um, to, an, uh, to an engineering um, course. ...at the university and the, the University of South Australia had just opened its Biola campus. So okay. I was able to live at home and yep. do that four-year degree there.
0: Did you get work experience at BHP while you were studying? Did. Perfect.
1: Yeah, I applied for a scholarship yep. and I was successful in that... ...which meant that I got paid to work and yep. they also paid for all my studies.
0: That's really interesting. I find, like I look at my study experience or timeline... ...and I did a, a degree, undergraduate degree with no experience... And then I did an MBA 10 years later and I got so much more out of the MBA because I actually argued with the lecturers and had experience on site as opposed to just being a yes person going, oh, okay, that's how it works. So well, I, you did I, it I, the right way, Craig, because yeah, I did my okay. MBA
1: straight following the engineering. Yep because I felt that that was the best way to accelerate my career and really didn't enjoy
0: it. Well, look, when I did my MBA, um, 75% of the people who were doing it were engineers who had practical experience and went, I want to go to the next level. I need people management experience. I'll do an MBA. So I found that interesting.
1: When I first started work there, they said to me that I would need to work in the business for about 15 years before I got into management, maybe 20. And I was like, 15 or 20 years? (laughs) I'm 20 years old. Like, this is ridiculous. And so, how do I accelerate it? Unless you want to do further studies, I was like, right, okay, done.
0: So, tell me about um, your dad and what he thought about you doing your MBA.
1: Um, my dad, um, my dad thought it was fantastic. Um, you know, he was really proud of the fact that I wanted to do something. Um, I'm sure there was a bit of that pride of uh, not wanting to put too much pressure on me, but you know, the fact that there were so many. Um, um, there was a lineage of engineers, you know, my grandfather, who I was also pretty close to, um, and, and the fact that Dad was one and then I was becoming one. My brother had no intention of ever becoming an engineer.
0: Okay, so you've, you've been working at the BHP and studying and doing your MBA. I think most people like to follow in their parents' footsteps. Did you divert a little bit after your MBA from engineering path that you'd set following your dad and your grandfather?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I felt that in Wyler I was going to be a little bit... Uh, pigeonholed into being an engineer and staying there as an engineer. And I had a I had a great, um, um, I guess, informal mentor at the time, Sylvester. So he had really helped me through my engineering and I also did work experience with him in Year 3 and Year 4, at the end of Year 3 and Year 4 at university. And as I was studying the MBA, he said, so what are you going to do with this, um, this new degree with within MBA? And I said, I don't know, but I really feel like I want to get into management, but everybody keeps telling me that I'm too young. He said, look, your opportunities will be limited in Wyala because you are going to be pigeonholed because people see you as an engineer. So why don't you broaden your horizons and move to a bigger city? Why don't you move to Adelaide or Melbourne um, or even Sydney? Sydney didn't excite me at all. um, But uh, Adelaide did because it was still fairly close to home. You know, it was about a four-hour drive. So I applied for other roles as I was getting towards the end of the MBA and I was surprised... um, how many opportunities came my way that because people saw me having that process background through engineering um, and uh, having, you know, almost completed an MBA. So it felt like the floodgates had opened. And I remember having uh, three really fantastic opportunities to pick from, one in Perth um, and two in Adelaide. And um, so what I chose to do was stay within the BHP family initially and I moved to... um, what's, um, you know, now the colour bond and um, the other the other branches. And I moved to um, that part of it. And so I worked there for a couple of years and then left yes. and then started to go and work with other manufacturing industries like I did work with General Motors for a while and then worked at Hills Industries for a while and really started to expand other things. And I found myself in those sort of four or five years, I got more and more into management, some small teams and then medium-sized teams. And then once I had left those organisations... I got headhunted for a job with BHP Billiton when the two companies had merged. Yep. And, um, that
0: feels the, good, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, good except I, I wouldn't have even known what headhunted was called then, <laughs> Craig. Um, you know, headhunted, you know, what does that mean? Um, it's like somebody's hunting for your head. Um, but um, at the time, I, um, uh, I remember looking at this job and they said, look, it's a pretty tough ask. There's over 200 applicants. We think we should put your um, name in the ring. Um, why don't you just have a go at it? And I thought, why not, I'll have a go at it. And um, I got appointed as a fairly senior leader within BHP Billiton when they were setting up the shared services across um, three different countries. And um, they had this big, long title, but at the end of the day, my job was to get all the service level agreements or SLA signed with all the different um, entities within BHP because there was going to be these massive savings. Um, I was the youngest manager by about 20 years. Um, And again, I found myself to be the only female and uh, that was very challenging because these guys I was working with were like super smart. Russell, who I'd worked with, I think he'd been with a company for like 30 years or yeah. – um, and so he knew everybody and knew everything. And I remember at the time going, oh, my God, somebody's going to find out I'm not that smart. Okay. And I just felt like a complete imposter.
0: But I, if you, all those things you just talked about, I was sitting here going, the only reason you're in there is because you believe in yourself.
1: Yeah I mean there was a part of me that was really hungry wanting to get to it but I remember when I got it and I beat these over 200 applicants to get to it I was like are you serious Um, and I know that sometimes I come across women in their careers that talk about this imposter syndrome I certainly experienced it and I remember just thinking oh my god I'm out there walking into these very big smart people's offices talking to them about service level agreements worth millions and millions of dollars and um, I'm sure somebody's going to kick me out and say, you know, <laughs> like, where did you, you know, get your degree from a cardboard box or whatever. I just remember feeling like a complete imposter. Yeah. So uh, how did I got you do it? That? How did you deal
0: with um,
1: it? Russell, funnily enough, I, I rang him and I said, mate, I know you're super busy and I know you've been forever, but I'd really love your input. And um, I also started to come across other people that really wanted to help. I remember at the time, one of the um, the vice presidents who was Canadian and had come to Australia to run that division. Um, was just amazing so found lots of you know again I wouldn't have probably called them mentors um, but people that came in that I was always willing to learn and ask questions and say look I don't know this and how does this work and Um, how do you do this and who should I know and who should I go and talk to and always happy to be a really fast learner but I wasn't ever afraid to ask questions which helped Um, but I also had three or four people that really went out of their way to help me to
0: help you okay so I'm going to read a quote from your book or from the back of your book which is Passionate Work and it's your journey from corporate warrior to business butterfly so I think you've described your journey to corporate warrior tell me what happened next
1: uh, what happened next was something that was not planned at all, um, Craig, and I guess different people happen, you know, have those moments in their careers. I had um, moved my trip to Nepal twice already, and I wanted to go trekking through um, the Annapurna regions in in the Himalayas, and I had moved it twice because of work and the demands on work. And I was also in a relationship at the time that I wasn't very happy in. I'd been in a relationship for about seven years, and um, I kind of felt like I'd got there. I thought it would take me until I was about 40 to get there. I just kind of got it to some level, most of what I wanted by the time I was about 30. Um, I was also getting to that point where I wanted to have children, but I wasn't sure I wanted to have children with my current partner. Yeah. And, um, and there was these amazing opportunities coming up to go and work overseas and I felt quite confused at the time.
0: Yeah,
1: okay. And after having moved this trip twice to Nepal, I went, you know what, I'm going to take this trip. Yep. Unfortunately, what happened was September 11 happened. And then the Royal Nepalese family was also slain by one of the um, cousins in the family, literally, like, I think a few weeks after September 11 happened. Yeah, wow. And I, I'm sure you remember that time, but a lot of people stopped travelling. Yeah. So I was, all my family I was on and my
0: honeymoon. I was in Brampton Island in the Gold Coast, and Ansett collapsed at the same time as well, if you remember. I do. So we were stuck in Mackay Airport because it was just mayhem.
1: <laughs> crazy. That was a crazy time. Mm. And so all my family and friends were saying uh, my partner wasn't going on the trip and they just said, look, you shouldn't be going on this trip. Yeah, don't do this. I checked with the Australian authorities and where I was going was pretty safe and I went. I just had this yearning to just go and I just needed a break because I was doing massive hours. I was working 80-hour weeks um, and travelling a lot. And um, so I took the trip. I was the only person on the trip and I had um, five other people. Like I had a guide and a cook and a sherpa and a... Um, and um, I, I had time to think and it was the first time probably for a long time that I had time to reflect and think about my life and think about the pieces that I wasn't very happy with. Um, I could probably talk about Nepal for the next five hours um, on this podcast but really there were transformational moments is what I'd like to call it where I spend time with the young kids yeah. in Nepal who would you know, get me to come into their house and share meals with them. Um, there were kids that... Um, I would offer a lolly to, and they'd you know, suck it for a couple of you know, sucks and put it back in the wrapper and put it in their, yeah. in their um, pocket because they were so happy with this incredible gift that they'd been given for free, which was like a lolly that cost me about a cent.
0: Imagine if you could take him to that KFC in hour.
1: Um. Oh, my God, right? <laughs> yep. um, or not, or not. <laughs> because their food tasted so much better. <laughs> um, and I remember crying a lot on that trip. I remember walking and just going, what am I doing here? I've had this big drive to prove to my parents that um, their trip and their, their moving to Australia was worthwhile. I kept thinking that, I, you know, I should just stay in this relationship and just have children because that's what's that's what expected do. of me. And I just also remember this um, part of me screaming inside going, this is not what you're meant to do. You're not meant to do this. And when I asked the question, what am I meant to do, um, and I'm not a religious person, probably more spiritual, but, you know, I would get nothing. But what I did know is that I had to get out of my job and what I did know is that I had to get out of my relationship. I just didn't know how to go about doing it. So, look, I had a month away and I came back from that trip and I quit my job.
0: So I'm not a relationship expert, but I do work in employment and that severing of that relationship, that employment, that is brave. Not many people do it. They just go, okay i mean, a great job, I've got good pay, I can keep doing this and I'll live my life. But for you to actually make that conscious decision, there's not a high percentage of people that actually do that.
1: Yeah, and they say that it's always a very fine line between bravery and stupidity. Um, so I'm not which point I was erring towards. Um, but I, I had this knowing that I had to do something else. I did run into a, you know a lot of butterflies as I sat um, on that trip who would just come and sit. And I remember thinking, wow, they go through this really painful journey of being a caterpillar and finally shedding their skin and coming out and I remember thinking maybe this is what's happening to me that's that's all I kind of remember reflecting because I felt pain I felt dissatisfied in life and to me I've learned as I've now got older some 15 years later that um, you know whenever there's that difficulty there's always a transformation happening now I can you know, or sometimes still sit through that discomfort, sometimes want to avoid that discomfort. But um, since that trip to Nepal, I can see that when I go through those stages of life where I go, this is really uncomfortable mm. and I know I'm transforming, I just don't know what's going to come out the other side.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. So what did the transformation look like? What did you come back to I came back and
1: quit my job. And my boss was like, "Um, do you want another month off? (laughs) (laughs) He was such a great boss. And I said, no, because I'll weaken. I just just have to quit. And he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to start up my own business. I want to transform businesses and people. And I actually really had um, not a very clear idea of what I was doing. So I just started up a coaching business and running workshops. And um, early on, Craig, I just ran them in everything. So people would say, can you do one? I remember somebody asked me, could you do one on time management? Oh, I always said, done. So I'd go to the library and, you know, in those days and get a couple of books and do a bit of searching on the internet, prepare a little presentation, which I was pretty good at from the BHP presentation days, and whack together a presentation and just charge <laughs> for it. So yep. anything people wanted me to do, I just went and did. And it was only, you know, later on that it started to get a bit more specific what yep. I wanted to do. But what I did love, and that hasn't changed much, is really working with people. And so really seeing a shift in them, really seeing them transform, really seeing them find their passions, um, uh, which I really did through that process. Um, And, you know, somebody once said to me that you teach what you want to learn. And so if you really want to learn it, you teach it. And that doesn't mean you know nothing, but, you know, you learn more from teaching stuff. And so for me, my passions grew um, stronger as I talked about passion. My um, business and what I was going to do and not going to do got stronger and clearer as I helped other people get clearer about what they needed and not needed to do. And that principle still applies today. I'm amazed by how many people I'd mentor. And in that session, I'd be telling them something and I'm going, oh my God, I should be do doing this myself. myself. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so that happens to this day, really. You'd sort of teach what you want to learn. Yeah.
0: And tell me, do you have a favourite? Do you have a an example of someone that you've gone... Wow, I helped them go from here to here. Is there someone that you can just really reflect oh, on and that go? That is
1: such a hard question to answer. So many. Yep. Um, probably two. And let me take a male and a female example. Yeah, great. Um, The male example was a, an amazing um, leader, who um, whose wife was French. She he he wanted to. She wanted to move back to France, and um, he wasn't sure how his career would go. But he was a bit stuck between, you know, really wanting to make her happy and working out how he reached his leadership potential. And so we did a vision board with him in um, a couple of mentoring um, sessions Um, and one of the things he worked out is where he would love to be in 15 to 20 years' time. So they had just recently got married and on this vision board he had three children. He had that he was a CEO of a really big company. He wrote down that he was um, able to live in France, learn the language but also have opportunities to travel by the world, et cetera. So he got really clear about what he wanted to create And, you know, sometimes when you work with people, and I'm sure that's the same in your Mm. um, industry and the work that you do, um, Craig, that you never know who you're working with and what ends up, they end up in two years, five years, ten years down the track. And um, I remember doing that work with him and he got really clear. Anyway, he kept a copy of his vision board in his pocket and um, three years later, I got this, um, after working with him for several months, I got this email from him that he had then moved to other positions. He was now the CEO and um, they'd had one child and the second one was on their way. They have since had a third. Mm. And um, he realised everything on that vision board that he'd created for himself. Yeah. And, you know, I always thought that my role as a mentor in that is, you know, the 2 to 5%. You know, he did the 95 to, you yeah, to 98% of actually it implementing you. it. But just being able to spark that in his passions and doing that was incredible. I also had a woman who I worked with um, who was in her late 40s. And had uh, upset a lot of people in a number of organisations she'd worked in. And um, she seemed to have, according to her CEO, a bit of a vendetta against men. And um, one of the things we discovered in the mentoring session, which I then created some more support for her, was that she, um, when we really explored why she had this so-called vendetta, yeah. which she was absolutely denying, yeah. Um, and we, we started to explore her childhood and what she really loved doing and what would she love to create. It came out that she had experienced sexual abuse as a child um, when she was about nine years old, and uh, it was a very traumatic time. And then she burst into tears, and she said, Shivani, I've never told anybody that. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, she was in her late 40s, so she spent four decades of her life, Impressing. and I felt so privileged that she shared that with me. And obviously that's not my area of expertise, so we made sure that she had some further assistance through a psychologist, but we continued to work together for the next six months. And the leader that she became as a result of that was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've stayed in contact since. And um, so I love that, um, that, you know, in a conversation where you're being, both being really authentic, um, that you can discover something or they can discover something about themselves mm-hmm. that then really helps them shift who they want to become.
0: Well, And, and so that what you've just said there, who they want to become, thats it's really interesting that we do, we put our identity, who we are, is coupled with our work life. Um, but that's shaped by our personal life. And so what you've done there in that coaching and mentoring session is not only affected her personal life, but her holistic, her authenticity, who she is, by giving her the tools to be who she wants to be in her work life. So they are intertwined so that mentor it must be so rewarding to be able to help people on both sides of that ledger so they can be more than what they are today yeah
1: Yeah. and you and you know i think the role of that um mentor which i've learnt the hard way is also not to get my ego attached in it because you know it's not about what i did it's actually what about they did and the role there is really to do what other people did for me When I was working out whether I should stay in Wayala or whether I should move into other things where, you know, I remember Sylvester saying to me, well... Um, you need to broaden your horizons. Mm. You need to think beyond what's comfortable. You know, I know you've got an Indian family. I know they won't want you to move out of home. But one of the things you really need to think about is what is right for your career. And that spark helped me do a number of things I did.
0: But it's also sometimes you have to learn when not to listen. Like, I'm sure you've had mentors that have driven you down the right path. But there's times where you've gone, no, I believe in what I'm doing. I'm going to go and do this. And and it's either worked or not worked. So... But it's your choice so I'm sure there's that well,
1: I've fired well. two mentors yeah. um you know m- people that I hired and paid them to give me some great advice and you know one of them I let go because um, the language around what I was trying to achieve wasn't very positive and I thought well if my mentor doesn't believe in me really what chance do we have and I said look this isn't working I've made a mistake I've chosen the wrong mentor yep. um, and I don't want to continue that relationship um, and, and I always let my mentees know that too that they have that you know point if yep, they get to a point where they go this isn't working for me great well let's do something else you know let's not stay in here painfully. And keep wasting hours together and um and the other mentor i um let go because he felt that me you know branching into a completely different industry was the wrong thing to do and um i said look i don't know but i'm kind of not going to know until i
0: give it a go
1: give it a go and uh you know it's not like i'm putting a million bucks on the line i just i want to give something a go Mm. and um So, you know, you have to find people that... um, That doesn't mean a mentor always says yes to me. Most Mm. of the mentors I've had, and I try and get a new one each year, have been pretty challenging. They'll go, why are you doing this? And explain to me how this links into the bigger thing and explain this and explain that. So I love being stretched, my brain stretched. I don't want people to agree with me, Mm. but it's how they disagree with me that really matters. Yeah.
0: So tell me about what you're doing at the moment. I've known you for a few years now and I'm... Um, in awe of how entrepreneurial you are in terms of there is multiple businesses that you're running and they're, they are connected but they're different. So tell me a little bit about how that evolved into doing multiple things as opposed to just focusing in one area.
1: Um, well, there were two reasons. One was that I've got these two young children yep. um, who are seven and nine and um, you know I've just done some reading it. a fun it. age. Um, It's a fun (laughs) age. So my son's seven and my daughter's nine and I, you know, do reading whichever Tuesdays I can manage. So I've just done um, some reading um, at my son's class and some maths in his class and helping out. And I noticed that in the first three or four years of their life, I was on the road a lot. And so we had nannies and we were working really hard, paying the nannies. And um, it sounds like a very simple thing, but I got to that point saying, look, I really want to lead my purpose and what I'm here to do, which is really empowering people to live their passions Um, but if I'm actually not able to then live one of mine which is to be really around and present with my kids and my husband particularly for those first 10 to 15 years then uh, I'm not sure if I'm doing myself a disservice and really putting myself first and so part of the pain point came for me Craig was then what other businesses can I run that don't involve lots of travel. But I still want to keep doing my speaking and mentoring work, but maybe if that's not the sole thing that I'm doing, how could I expand other things? So one of one of the um, the pain points, as they say, came from that, and the other came from well, what are some of the other things that I'd be interested in, and at the time, which was about five years ago, and so five years ago, I made a list. Some of it you're going to laugh at, but you know, I wrote down that I'd love to have a yoga studio. Yep. I would love to um, run spas, but, you know, the one that didn't do injectables, etc. So they had organic products. At the time, I was, um, I've was i been a client of Indota Spas for 14 years and, you know, love what they had done. Mm-hmm. I wrote down that I'd love to own a supermarket Audi, which I know it's not possible because they're all family-owned, <laughs> but I wrote that on my list. Um, I also wrote down that I wanted to do something around children and maybe like a kid's play centre or a childcare centre, but you know, maybe had like really healthy food and looked at how they worked on their mind from an early age of two or three yeah. um, and really helped kids believe in themselves. So I made this like crazy, completely...
0: Sounds like a vision board, which you uh, gave <laughs> to one of your customers.
1: <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, I did put that little <laughs> post-it note on my vision board. Yep. And I do do a vision board each year. And um, um, anyway, I put that list, didn't think anything off it. About five weeks later, I was... Um, uh, at Indotus by getting my monthly massage, and um, the owner of that business said, Hey Shivani, I'm going to sell this business. And I went, What? Don't <laughs> no. sell this business. I love coming here. <laughs> And um, I I used to go to them in Adelaide, and then when I moved to Newcastle, I um, started going to them. Anyway, she said that it was getting too much, and she was living in the Hunter Valley. And so I started giving her all these ideas, and I started coaching her in the middle of a massage, uh, which is highly inappropriate, and just saying to her, you know, how could she put a general manager in, and what about this, and what about that? Anyway, in the end, she said to me, Why don't you buy this business? I said, That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And I remember going home and having that point where I saw my vision board, which was next to my um, where I get changed. At the moment, it's in my bathroom. And um, I, I remember crying. I remember going, oh, my God, yeah. I wrote this down a few weeks ago. And I took that as a sign. I, I'm a really big believer in yeah. that kind of stuff now. I never used to be when I was younger. I'm sure I missed a 1,000 of them. But now I went, that's a sign. Let me have a chat to a, two or three people. Let me talk to my accountant. And obviously, we went through the due diligence process and... That really sparked me moving away from a business that included lots of travel. So it met my family purpose, and um, I still wanted to empower people. I wanted to run some female-centered businesses, and um, you know now I have this amazing team that um, runs across three spas.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. But there's also opportunity in the future. Like those seven and nine-year-old will grow up. And the opportunity for you to go and travel again when they're not going to be in a position to need you as much, that'll present as well. Like, yeah. that's yeah. kind of my theory on what I'm trying to achieve in my business is be here, be present for my three girls. There's going to come a time where they're not going to want dad as much. So maybe that's when we push the full throttle button on our business. So yeah, it's, absolutely. it's an interesting mindset shift, I think, that um, I'm trying to achieve, but yourself, that could come. So
1: Absolutely, and I think um, then, you know, like doing this podcast and still doing the work that you're doing yeah. is really important. So I don't say, um, I still probably say no to a few speaking things, which are going to take me away a lot, yep. but then I'm still able to say yes to some things that really resonate yep. um, with me and that particular client or the people and, and leaders that genuinely want to make a difference to their people, not sort of hearsay. It's been really good to be able to say yes to quite a few of those opportunities. So absolutely. And, um, you know, there's that saying, if you can't have it all, you just can't have it all at the same time. (laughs) And I know that some women go, "Oh, well, that's not right. It's limiting or whatever. And I go, look, for me, it's true. I absolutely can have it all. It's just that I can't be in two places at once. And right now, if I can be home 80, 85% of the time, With my kids doing the boring stuff of buying sneakers this afternoon for an aerobics championship and (laughs) taking them to tennis um, or whatever it might be, that's super important. That's the most important, one of the most important things I can do right now while still growing businesses. And once they're older, as you said exactly right, Craig, that you know, once they're older, then Let's um, see what I'm meant to do in service then. And, you know, maybe some other opportunities will come in, come in to um, serve people and help empower people a different way. Yeah.
0: So, look, we have this thing on the Career Conversations podcast. We call it our time machine. So we rewind the clock to when you were 20 years old. And if you had the knowledge you had today, what advice would you give yourself?
1: That's such a good question. Um, such a great question. Um, the first one would be um, Go faster. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, like there were so many times that I doubted myself, and I still do. And I think that's that's a good moment to reflect to say, is this the right thing? But I didn't go as fast because I went, oh, I'm not sure. You know, I um, uh, just I would have just gone faster. So whatever my uh, things I wanted to trial out, I would have just done them faster. Tried it and went, nah, that didn't work. That's okay. And just had that. Um, And so that obviously then relates into more courage and more belief in myself. So I would have just said, look, it doesn't matter, you know. I would say to my 20-year-old, you want to be an engineer, be an engineer. You want to go and, you know, run companies, go and run companies. And um, certainly to that almost 30-year-old, I would have said, you know, just don't worry about it, you know. The relationships will come, do the stuff that you love and... Just do it faster, and don't listen to other people's advice of telling you what you should and shouldn't do. And including my family members, who were always want me to, you know, love what I do, but they were quite worried that I was going to quit this big corporate job in a seven year relationship, uh, or within a month of each other. And I understand that because I'd feel the same way if my kids did that. But at the same pace, I would tell my twenty year old.
0: that's That's an interesting point there. I think we're different. Our generations are different. Would would say your parents, your dad, your dad. I'm guessing probably similar to my dad. My dad worked in the mines for 35 years. Your dad's at BHP. Yeah, he
1: was there for over 30 years too.
0: Secure job. Craig, don't go and start a business. What are you doing? That's more their fear.
1: Yeah.
0: But you've gone and done it. So now if we fast forward the clock, 10, 15 years, and your daughter's going, I'm going to start a business... I think you're going to support her in a different way than your parents did because it's different now.
1: And it's, it's that next generation you can pass some of that yeah. wisdom over. Um, funnily enough, I just ordered um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad um, for my both my kids. And I'd really like them to read that. Yeah, well. I just wish they called it Rich Mum, Poor Mum, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, We won't get into that. But, you know, that's obviously Robert Kiyosaki's story about the job versus the business. And I just think it's a really important thing. Now, I think one of two things will happen. Either they'll go, oh, my God, my mum works so hard, which we do. And they'll go, I don't want that. I just want a stable job. Yep. Or they'll go, oh my God, this is so inspiring. Let me go and trial two, three, four businesses before they find what they love. And they'll go do that. And I think both are okay with me. I just want them to have access to knowing that the job is not the only way anymore. They've Mm. got a number of options in terms of what they want to do.
0: Opportunities. Okay, so we've looked at the past. What's next? What's next for Shivani?
1: Um, Well, there are some opportunities to continue to grow the wellness space, um, both with other spas, um or with um other ways to deliver wellness um i'm not sure today having just opened one like a week ago last week (laughs) (laughs) um i'm not in the headspace to kind of consider any more growth today but certainly you know three four months down the track to sit down and actually strategically look at whether that makes sense or not um I would like to continue to um, obviously do lots of stuff with kids, being still pretty young for the next decade yeah. in terms of what I do and um, one of the things that is becoming more and more important to me, I started doing work, volunteer work with a organisation five years ago called Barefoot College International. Yeah, great,
0: I was going to ask you about your charity yeah. work.
1: And uh, I was looking for a charity, I've sat on not-for-profit boards for about 10 years and love it and you know contributing to your community is really important. It's a really important value I get from my dad um, and my dad's side of the family. And um, I was looking for my drop in the ocean. You know, I wanted to do some work with empowering girls and education, maybe look at preventing abuse. And um, as cliched as it sounds, it all kept coming back to educating girls. And so I found this amazing organisation in India called Barefoot International, which has been going for about a long time, 43 years, and um, they run a couple of programs, one for young girls at night schools so that they don't have the opportunity to go to schools during the day because they're working on farms and looking after siblings. And then they work with grandmothers from over 90 nations around the world and they teach them to be solar engineers in six months. Wow. And so they pick women from uh, villages that have no electricity yep. and they bring them to India for six months. And despite language barriers, they learn how to become a solar engineer, put... Uh, panels together and PCBs together and um, solar lanterns together panels on roof together they then get funded partly by the Indian government as well as their government and um, they solar electrify their villages and it's a pretty cool thing yeah and so I've got a real deep passion for educating girls um, particularly in villages where they're getting married very young at the age of 11 and um, educating as many girls so we can get them married a lot later 17 18 and really shifting that generational difference. And I would love, you know, my big, big vision would be that we open night schools up in all those over 90 countries. At the moment, we sustain the ones in India, but then wherever there's a solar mama, we could potentially open up night schools because then we've got electricity, we've got a woman that's already been involved in Barefoot College. And so really starting to look at expanding night schools into different countries around the world. And that's been awesome. Like, it's such an amazing... Um, piece of work to contribute to to some amazing leaders and last year I got appointed to their board and so I went to India for my first board meeting which was just the most heartwarming thing I've done since Nepal. Um, outside of my family obviously and other work successes um, it really felt like another Nepal moment 15 years later.
0: So question for you because um, I'm sure a lot of the people listening have passion, passion outside of work. Um, how do you find that balance because listening to you speak about barefoot college then you could just see or i could see the passion resonate through and i'm sure people could hear it through your voice but you don't get paid to do that no so how do you balance that work getting paid following your passion in non-paid not-for-profits that's a real fine line you can absolutely go there's so much stuff i can do for this college i could go and invest 80 hours a week in this but how do, how do you find that balance? I think that's an look, really interesting question.
1: A very good question. Um, two things. One is when I first started speaking, I'd spoke for free lots. Yep. And I had bills that I couldn't pay. Yep. And so I knew that that wasn't right. So to me, like if you look at a scale where you've got complete commercialism at one end and complete altruism at the other end. Um, Being completely altruistic and not making any money is crazy. I don't want to live like that. I want to send my kids to a good school. We love travelling. I don't need to fly business cars, which I don't, but I want to travel a fair bit around the world. So I don't want to be completely altruistic and live a hippie life and not enough enough to do basic things. Um, But I also don't want to be completely commercial where I make heaps and heaps of money Mm. and feel dissatisfied because I've been there. Um, You know, I was on a lot of money 15 years ago. And it took me a long time to even make anything near it in my own business. And I had shares and I had opportunities to work overseas, where, which would have tripled what I earned. And um, and that didn't give me any satisfaction. Yeah,
0: that's not important to you.
1: Well, it, I was there and it didn't give me any satisfaction. And I come across people who are super wealthy, but they feel like something's missing. So whether that something's missing around their health or um, doing something in community or whatever it might be. So that's the first thing I'd say to people is you have to find the balance for you yeah. that... Um, what works for you and where you want to be on the scale anywhere you're on the scale is great I just think either a zero or ten is not good yeah, and you just, just work out balance. where it is I'm finding trying to create more and more time for projects like Barefoot because and I'm now dedicating about 10% of my time to Barefoot uh, and that's all I can do today later on I'd like to do 30% for yeah. Barefoot
0: and look that forms part of your career even though you're not paid for that That's still a part of your career.
1: Do you know what? The informally mentoring I'm getting with some of the most extraordinary humans, like there are board members around the world. So I'm sitting here in India for a three-day board meeting. It's the best leadership course I could go to forever, right? And all I've done is pay for my flights to get there. So to me, what I'm receiving already, like in my brain space, in my leadership space, let alone being inspired by the women and the, the girls who are doing this incredible work despite their odds, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I've already been paid for it. Yeah, yeah. The second thing I would say, Craig, is that some of the work I do is that there are seven areas of passion, but you can only master three mm-hmm. at a given time, and that given time is minimum six months, maximum 12 months yep. because it takes that long to master your passions. So you just have to get really clear what you're, what you're going to master. So friends and social is one of those areas. My friends and social has been number seven on the bottom of the list for four years straight. I love my friends. I'm a really loyal person. I have great friends, but I just can't do the see your friends three times a week. And so my really inner circle know that they're on a rotation so you communicate that to them I communicate that to them and some of them are really funny now they'll go hey we want to see you and Scott are we on the rotation yet (laughs) right and I go no you've got two more weeks dude (laughs) and so we laugh about that and I say to them it's not because I don't love you and if you needed something I'd be there in a second I just can't do I'm not set up today to see you three times a week and I don't want to be there and looking resentful (laughs) because I will And so I have my closer friends, I see, I've got a really close friend in Adelaide, you know, I see her in July when I'm doing a speaking engagement with her and she's coming here at the end of July to celebrate our joint birthdays because I missed her 40th last year to go overseas. And so, and she's got three boys, right? So we're just going to find those pockets and really value them. But I know that I'm not going to master friendship this year because it's not going to be in my top three. So in my top three, my number one's my work. My number two is my family. And my number three is my community and my spiritual, which is where Barefoot comes in. Now, my health isn't in my top three. I'm not a fatty boomba, but (laughs) I'm not going to be super fit. Uh, I would like to make more money and have more profit, but money's not in the top three, so I'm not going to be as wealthy as I'd like. You know what I mean? So I just say to people... If you're trying to do it all, I see that more for women but also for men, just get really clear out of those seven, what are the the top top three three you're going to focus on for this year or next year? And they could change. And you want to master it. So what you want to do is set lots of goals once you've worked out your passions. Whereas we do it the opposite. Most people I come across um, set their goals which are not aligned with their passions. Mm. So I say to them, work out what your passions are, then set the goals. What's going to happen is once you get really clear on your top three passions, then put five, six, seven goals underneath them and put a vision board together. But the ones that you bottom two passions, just put one goal underneath them, yeah, okay. uh, and then that's when it comes in really handy. If you really want to be super successful at your fitness, you know what? You're going to set heaps of goals, and then what? What the right way you'll make time for it is by saying no to a whole heap of other things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Clue. Really appreciate hearing one your clue. story and how you transformed yourself into a, a business butterfly. Thanks, Shivani Gupta.
1: Thanks so much, Craig.
0: A really special thanks to our guest today, Shivani Gupta. It was a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, If you want to learn more about Shivani, who is a mentor, author, speaker, entrepreneur and philanthropist, go to her website, www.askshivani.com or if you're in the Hunter, Newcastle uh, region, visit one of her Indota spa outlets and spoil yourself. Until next time, I'm Craig McGregor and thanks for listening to the Career Conversations Podcast brought to you by... Hunter Recruitment Group.